0: This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, this week I'm joined by Jonathan Field and Jonathan has like gone through transformation. We're forever, you know, making these changes, adjusting, growing, looking for the the better version of who we can be in our life. And so Jonathan, you're going to hear from his story that it's filled with hope, that it's filled with you know, working through despite the fear, despite the challenge that we're facing right now, that he kept looking for that better direction. And for him now, you know, he's doing coaching, helping, um, helping to find that transformation, that identity shift that if we hold on to the past, it's an anchor keeping us back. He is providing the coaching and the, and also speaking on how we cut those anchors, those ties that are holding us back to experience that freedom that's available to us once we continue to push and grow and put in the work to bring about that transformation. So Jonathan, how are you doing today, my friend?
1: I am doing great. Thanks.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you joining me. Um, hey, can we start off with, What does life look like for you to say on the professional side?
1: Sure. Uh, I have recently embarked on a mission of helping men overcome toxic habits and uh, establish resilience, really focusing on identity. Um, This is through speaking and personal one-on-one coaching as well as group coaching.
0: Awesome. and then what does it look like for you on the personal side of life?
1: Personal side of life is a little bit more established. <laughs> um, they've got all these brand new things aren't happening at once. That could be a little bit overwhelming, but uh, personally, awesome. Uh, I, I'm a father of four, multiple, more children, um, nine kids altogether. If you count um, children that I've raised, um, but I have four kids at home from four years old to 12 years old almost 13 and um yeah personally it's amazing got an awesome yeah. life and uh
0: yeah awesome very cool um so having nine children like what's the biggest i've got four and i know the challenge for me was they were all unique right none of them were the same is that like the same that you've experienced or like, what do you see like as your biggest challenge raising nine children?
1: Wow. Well, I didn't raise all of them. Um, eight, I've raised seven from the time they were children. Um, I was estranged from my, my first son, from my first marriage for quite a while, but we are back together now. So I was with him till he was three, but yeah. Um, as far as personalities, they're all different. Um, some of them, some of them, uh, the majority of them, techniques work, the same techniques will work on them. Um, but then you get one here or there that, you know, the things that worked on the other ones don't work on them. And uh, so yeah, it, it's amazing how, how different they are. But they're all, it's a blessing to raise them all. Like I love being a dad. That's, that's been like the biggest dream of my life to be a father and, and the most fulfilling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, well, let's, let's jump back and, and talk about some of the things that, you know, you've, you've changed over, you've transformed, you've worked through, right. Um, you know, speaking about like changing our identity and re-identifying who we are and, you know, like letting go of the past, let's start from there and then understand like how you've done that. So, um, can, can you take us back to like, what were some of the challenges that you overcame? Um, you know, like way back when we'll, we'll talk about the more recent stuff, but let's go back and and talk about some of the challenges you overcame on the initial, um, part.
1: Yeah. Um, Mike, way back when the first major challenge that I, had to uh, overcome and get past was the loss of my my brother jacob he was three years older than me um i actually dropped out of high school when i was 17 to go with him to follow the grateful dead around the country and so we the grateful dead was this band that that toured all around the country and, and this was this just happened to be their last tour um summer of 1995 and um he ended up, we, we made a pack with each other that we would never put needles in our arm. And, um, and he ended up breaking that pack one night and he, uh, he shot up meth. And, um, and not long after he started hanging around with the kids that were, were shooting up heroin and he was three years older than me. He was, he was like my hero all my life growing up. My dad wasn't around. So I latched on to Jacob and, you know, it's not really good for uh, a little boy to have uh, another boy as his hero, you know? So the only time I ever got a pat on the back and add a boy was if I was doing drugs, sleeping with women or fight, if I beat somebody up, Mm. Um, you know, but I was really close to him, looked up to him for everything. I wanted to be just like him. He was a really charismatic um, guy and, uh, and a lot of people followed him and loved him. And he happened to be my brother. And, uh, so, uh, so yeah, right before he turned 21, uh, right before I turned 18, he ended up overdosing and, uh, he passed away and, and that was like the biggest shake of my life up to that point. So, so yeah, that was a, that was a huge thing for me to overcome. Cause I was, you know, all my life, I looked up to him for everything and uh, everything he wanted to be i wanted to be so now here i am almost 18 years old having to figure out who am i and uh, it would be quite a quite a journey before i figured that out but yeah that was a that was a huge thing to have to overcome
0: yeah i can i can only imagine i mean when when that kind of thing happens the void it would leave but you're also like now i have to figure figure out what my path is and who i am how did you go about doing that? I mean, was there family around that could help you with that or other like adults, anybody around to help you transition through that?
1: Well, at that point I actually became a Christian and uh, I, all my life I had prayed to Jesus, you know, Uh, in fact, my brother, when I, when I left with him to start traveling around the country, He told me, he said, Hey, you know, we're, he's like, we're, we're having fun now. He's like, but I want to, one day I want to get married, have a family, start going to church. We had never gone to church, but this was an idea that, that he had had that he wanted to have one day. And, and so that was the plan. And, um, you know, before he passed away, uh, some of the guys that were in the hotel room with him, they told me that, you know, he slipped into a coma. He, he initially overdosed. And then he came out of the coma for two or three minutes, and he was asking questions. And before he slipped back into the coma, and uh, he was asking uh, this one guy that was in the room if he believed in God. And so I know that the last things on my brother's mind before he passed away was God. And uh, and even though he felt lost at the time, you know, he, uh, I believe that we are not saved by our own goodness; that uh, mm-hmm. Jesus paid the price for us that we couldn't pay on our own. And, um, and, and I know that the Lord was on my brother's mind before he passed away. So that, that really, that kind of gripped me and that made me, uh, here I am. I feel like that was his last thoughts. And so now I'm like, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to, this is going to be my life. And, um, so I didn't really have, um, Anybody to guide me in the sense of uh, I, I I initially got involved with kind of a, a really religious church and I was taught a lot of rules and um it, a lot of limiting beliefs and um, it, it would take me quite a while I I, I kind of believe that the initial doctrines that I believed as a Christian are what kept me uh, addicted to 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 drugs for all these years because I ended up backsliding when i turned 19 i inherited some money and i fell back into um you know drugs and but now i was all alone and and so uh prostitutes and things like that and uh the what i was taught was that as a christian all we have to look forward to is heaven and there's no real victory on this side of uh, on this side of of heaven and that we just kind of have to grit our teeth and bear it and just endure and, and make it through because one day we get to go to heaven. And it's going to pretty much be really terrible here, here on this earth. But you know, one day we have heaven and, and that doctrine and that belief can work for some people um, that may have some secret sins that are manageable. But the, the things that I dealt with was, was hardcore addiction and womanizing and, and ultimately, I wanted to be a family man, and, and, and the addiction doesn't is not really con- conducive to family life or freedom. You know, it, it would be years later I ended up going to prison for the first time uh, for crimes that I was I was committing while I was on drugs, and um, yeah. But but to answer your question, I did have some guidance, and, and I'm thankful for the journey that I've been on. I I wouldn't say it's the best guidance for for somebody with my history and my background. Uh, But I eventually, I did eventually break free from, from all of that stuff and and did find freedom about 13 years ago.
0: So as you're going through that, I mean, you're looking, you're being told, Hey, this is going to be super rough. There's really no hope here. Right. And it sounds like that was kind of reflected in how things were going day-to-day uh doesn't sound like there was too much in the way of like relational support so you're kind of navigating this solo is that right
1: i was involved in my church um but you know i was maybe maybe it was me maybe it was the culture of of the the church that i was involved with i i ended up when i when i got this this money and I started like falling back into sin. It, it, it became a secret thing for me, so I had this double life going, where I had a church life and then I had a when Jonathan's all alone life, that that is too shameful to talk about with anybody. And uh, there was nobody in my life that I I was honest with, um, that I felt like I could be honest with. So I just hid it, and eventually I ran away. I ran away from from the community that I was involved in. And, uh, I made up some story that I was going to go, uh, check out this Christian school on the other side of of the country in California that all these people had, had been involved with. And, uh, really I was just trying to get away from them from any accountability because I just, I, I just felt terrible about myself. Uh, I can, I can say I've been through a lot in my life, but this was a time in my life that I'm speaking about right now when I was 19 and 20 that I, the shame, the guilt, um, the hatred for myself, the disgust with myself was at the highest. Like, like I, I just believed that God tolerated me. I didn't, I didn't understand that he loved me and that it wasn't based on my performance. And, and I had never been really taught about God's love, or at least I didn't have a revelation of it to where I, I could come to him no matter what, even in the midst of my sin, that he always accepts me and that he loves me. And, and so because I felt like he just tolerated me. And he was disgusted with me. That's how I, I felt about myself. Or it could be that I felt so much that way about myself. He had to, because he sees everything. And he's seeing these things that I'm hiding from people and everything. My light, I'm like naked in front of him. And, and, uh, and he sees all of that. And so I just didn't think there was any way that he could love me. And so, yeah, that was, that was rough. I mean, suicide was on the table at that point. Mm-hmm. And this was when I had money. I had money for the women. I had money for the drugs. Every time I quit using drugs back then, it wasn't because I, I ran out of money like a lot of people. It's like I had the money. I just realized how empty and unfulfilling it was. I had, up to that point, between the time my brother had passed away, between 17 and 19, I had some genuine encounters with God. I had experienced God's love, I had experienced um, fulfillment in that and knowing my creator. And, uh, and anytime I went back to those old things, I just felt terrible. It was after I became a Christian that suicide, like I thought about suicide, um, because I just, those things that I used to find so much fulfillment out of did not compare to what I had experienced in my relationship with God.
0: So how did you move? Like, well, we can think that we're the only ones going through, a, you know, what we're experiencing, right? That shame, that Mm -hmm. self-hatred, loathing, lack of worth, right? We don't see our value and we're hiding it because we're feeling shame and guilt. How did you move through that? Because you're living that double life, that hidden life. Then you go to, you know, jail. How did you transform out of that to where it's like, no, this needs to be addressed. I, you know, I'm choosing not to step back into this cycle, this downward spiral that, you know, the action medicates and removes the stress, but then I feel more shame and guilt and it just compounds and piles on. How did you move out of that?
1: It's kind of a journey, but, but I will say that the first major decision I made in my life was I was not going to fake it and lie anymore. Uh, and and I'll, I, I got married when I was 23 years old, and uh, immediately um, after that, my wife, my ex-wife and I, we we planned to have a son, or, or to have a child. And so, as soon as we we went for that, and that was the goal. Within about a month, she was pregnant, and um, we had my first son. And um, his name, I named him after my brother who passed away to carry on his name, Jacob Lee Field. And uh, something came alive in me that I had never known that I could love somebody like this. And, um, you know, but I still had this like little, and I will kind of say little comparatively to how it had been in the past. But while I was married, you know, I didn't know how to deal with stress uh, while I was married to my ex-wife. And if we'd get into a fight or if things were really stressful, I would go and I would uh, I would score some meth and I would go do meth and I would never like disappear for days or weeks at a time. In fact, um, I would come home and I would act like I wasn't high and I would literally lay in bed next to my ex-wife all night and fake like I try to fake like I was sleeping. Um, and the reason why I would do that is the times when I would want to just be honest with her and share with her, and, and the times where I was just like, man, it, it eats me up inside. I'm, I don't want to live a double life. I love this per, this woman as much as I knew how to love her, um, back then. And I, I didn't want to lie. And so I would confess to her, Hey, I went and I got some meth today. And I did that. She, um, she would just be so judgmental. And now, now keep in mind her and I, in the beginning of our relationship, we did meth together, but as soon as she got pregnant, she she was amazing at this i will I will say is that as soon as she found out she was pregnant, she quit, and she never she uh had vowed to not touch it again for me it wasn't so easy i had i had every once in a while I would just go back to it. I had so many positive memories from the drugs to where it wasn't like such a terrible thing to where I could use it for stress relief plus i have uh i didn't know at the time like an a d h d brain so the amphetamines actually kind of were clicking something in my brain and making me a little bit more productive. And I I believe that it was helping me. So, um, so I would lie to her and, um, because when she, when I would tell her the truth, it wasn't a safe place. And and judgment and condemnation, she would, she would act like she just witnessed somebody she loved get murdered in front of her. Like it was like the end of the world. If I, if I was honest. And, And so she ended up leaving me and, um, You know, I had made my mind up and a decision that I was never going to lie to people again. You know, I was doing this drug. I love my son. I felt like a terrible person when the family was broke up, but I didn't know how to quit doing the drugs. And I knew that I had to just be honest with people. And so vulnerability was a huge thing. So when I would meet potential people I was dating, I would tell them right off the bat, I said, hey, I'm a drug addict. And I've got problems in my life. I didn't want it to be a surprise. And also, the reason why I was being vulnerable is I was just hoping somebody had answers for me. And so, when my friends that I knew from church would ask me how how I was doing, my true friends, you know, I wouldn't just dump on everybody, but um, I would tell them I'm like, man, it's terrible. I'm like hooking up with woman after woman, and and I'm doing meth every day, and Man, it's terrible, and I don't know how to quit. I was just hoping somebody had answers for me. It would be some years down the road before those answers came. But one step, one to answer your question, I know it was a long answer, is vulnerable. We have to be willing. We have sometimes you have to prove to yourself that this isn't something you want to be doing because your your brain can kind of tr- play tricks on you when you're dealing with addiction, whether it be pornography or whether it be drugs or what, what no matter what it is anything you say i'm not going to do anymore and you find yourself doing sometimes you have to do make decisions and take action so you prove to yourself that this isn't what i want to be doing because you can kind of think oh i well there's a part of me that wants to be doing it that's why i keep doing it but but sometimes we have things stuck and so for me to one of the ways that i had to Prove to myself that I didn't want to be doing it is I had to be brave enough to be vulnerable and tell people that I knew cared about me or tell people that I hoped could have some answers for me, the truth about my life. And, and, um, you know, so vulnerability is huge in that. If you don't have the answers and you can't figure out how to stop doing these things, somebody out there has an answer for you. So you, you got to be honest with yourself. If you keep hiding it, um, then then you're not really if you keep it in darkness you're not really ever going to it's going to be real hard to to break free from something like that
0: yeah and when we're not vulnerable we're almost like holding ourselves hostage to that situation that addiction whether it's you know like you talked about drugs porn could be video games whatever the case may be um we're holding ourselves hostage with that old identity instead of saying, Hey, how do I tell myself the truth and how do I find a solution to break out of this shame, this guilt, this, you know, self-hatred and loathing? Um, how did you, you said it was a couple years later till you found the answer. How did you come across the answer to, you know, to get out of that? Cause you're being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, what was the difference that, you know, led you on that path to, to find the answer of finding, you know, the transformation, the freedom from that.
1: It was really, um, it started with, um, getting a revelation of God's love for me. Remember I told you when I was 19, I didn't have that at all. And, you know, I had never been taught that Jesus loved me. I was kind of taught that if you don't get your life right, you're going to miss the rapture or you're not going to go to heaven when you, when you die and God's going to reject you. Um, but the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it, once I got a, uh, one night I got a revelation of, of, uh, of God's love for me by reading through the book of Romans, uh, one night it just came alive to me. And it was really Romans five, six, seven, and eight. That was, that was huge for me. Um, and, and just understanding that it wasn't my righteousness, that God accepts me, that he loves me, that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, and um you know once i learned that and i just identified as a person who loves god i wasn't going to well i and and i used to run in shame like adam and eve you know in the garden when they had sinned when i would when i would find myself uh, doing something shameful i would run and hide from god once i realized That I didn't have to do that, and that I was accepted always, and that I—it's not that God loves me; I am loved by God. There's a settling. I—I finally just settled it. God loves me forever. It's—he doesn't change. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. Even when I was on drugs, I would still—I finally just said, "Well, I'm not going to run from you anymore, God. If it's really about a relationship with you, I'm going to sit. Even I'm not going to stay in shame. And so, even if I can't stop doing this meth, even if I can't stop. Womanizing and sleeping with these women, then I'm not going to let it stop me from from coming and sitting in your presence because uh, worship has always been a really big part of my life. And uh, so I would listen to preaching, I would listen to worship music, I would literally be on high on meth uh, and just sit there. I wasn't your typical guy. In fact, I would share share with other meth addicts that said they were Christians, like things like this worship music and stuff like that. And they're like, dude, turn that off. I'm, I'm here. You know, they were still in the shame place. But so for me, it was that love, just realizing that I'm accepted no matter what. And, I'm, I, and there's a creator who loves me and I would, I would sit in his presence no matter what and I would stop running from him. But that love began to get, I, I began to get a deeper and deeper revelation of that love um, combined with um, a new identity you know we're instructed in the new testament to put off the old man and to put on Christ to to wear a new identity it says uh that in ephesians that that the new man that when we get born again the new man, the old man passes away we become a new creature but it, it says that this new spirit man who we are is created in righteousness and true holiness and so i began to realize that that there's this dual nature in me, you know, you have, you have, uh, the mind of the flesh, you know, this thing that craves pleasure and, uh, and, and things like that. But then the real me is my spirit. The real me that when I die and I go to heaven is, is my spirit, man. I don't get a new spirit. Now the Bible talks about, we get a new body and our soul, we get, a uh, our soul is renewed, but, but the real me right now is a spirit created, in God's image. So I began to learn how to identify with who I am in the spirit. When I die, when this body dies and I go be with God, and I'm known and I know the things that I, I know everything that I'm I'm supposed to know like I am going to be this perfected person with God and I'm already that in my spirit. So I had to learn to kind of disassociate with this old, the history and the old man and the, the ability to fail with a new nature. You know, um, Peter talks about that we're partakers of the divine nature. So we actually, when we get born again, when we become Christians, we get a new nature. And that's why you kind of feel bad doing the old things that used to bring you so much pleasure. And you get joy from laying your life down and serving people and, and giving. So it was really the the, the the main thing for me to get free was this deep understanding of God's love for me and that he's wanting to bless me. He wants me to have a fulfilled life. But I'm also not defined by my past and I'm not defined by my failure. I'm defined by who does God say I am. And, and what really happened when I became a new creature Jesus said you have to be born again. So when I got born again, who am I? And so disassociating with the old and associating with who I truly am. Who is my who am I really? Because I'm not going to be struggling with sin and looking at women and drugs and and these things. I'm not going to be struggling with all of these things when I pass on and when I'm with God. I'm going to be who I really am in my fullness. So it's about learning to identify with him the real you now. It's kind of freeing, man. (laughs) It's pretty amazing because I'm not that guy. I don't have to be ashamed about that. And the truth is, as long as I'm in this body, I'm always going to have this inclination to do things that I'm not supposed to do. That's okay. We all do. Jesus was tempted in every way. That's what the Bible says. He was tempted in every way, yet he was still who he was, he's still perfect. He's still righteous and holy. So just because I'm tempted by that, or even if I happen to fall into that stuff, I don't define myself by that anymore. I define myself as one with God, created in his image, and the truth about him and his nature is the truth about the real me. I know that was a long answer. <laughs> I hope that, no, that's, I hope it made that's sense. Good.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um so Oftentimes people can look and go, Hey, you made a decision like this and they will expect like, Hey, I'm supposed to be perfect. You know, like I'm not going to make mistakes. There's not grace for themselves. Right. So I could look at you, Jonathan, and say, Hey, you did this. And I would extend grace. I'd be like, okay, cool. No worries, Jonathan. But that self, um, you know, like when we go through that stuff, it's also you know oftentimes like this cruel self-critical judgment right that grace is not there um, so you know it's like looking at yourself to be perfect when that's not the expectation that we place on others as you're going through this transformation you know you're you're changing your identity of who you are like did, did things continue to grow or you know, like um like were there any more challenges or it was just a smooth road, you know, once you're like, hey, this is my new identity. I mean, like <laughs> we'll we'll go back to that honesty and you know, just that that vulnerability. I mean, like mm. what how did things progress from there?
1: You know, I will say that it was uh once I got a hold of this. I spent a short mentorship with this, this pastor that I would listen to on YouTube when I was on meth. And um, his name is Dan Moeller and um, he, I would follow his website and uh, he would post like new places where he would speak, you know, the audio from it and stuff like that. This was uh, around 2010 and uh, he opened up a school called the school of kingdom living. And it was basically just like two or 300 bucks. He said, he doesn't care about the money; just charge enough to keep the lights on and stuff, and the church while he does it. And so, about fifteen or sixteen people showed up, and and I got to go there, and it was pretty much it was free for me. I knew within the first week once I grasped this, once it made sense to me that it was about identity and how to how to by faith believe in an identity that I can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. Um, you know, it's it's by faith. The spirit man doesn't; you don't really feel with him. You know, you don't. You, don't, you know so so it was learning how to walk by faith I, within the first week, I knew I was free i i I knew I was not going to do meth anymore. I knew it finally clicked that i can I can literally disassociate myself from this old guy uh, yes, I can learn lessons from him, but that's not me i'm not identified as a drug addict i'm not identified as a convict, as a failure as you know um I quit. I think I threw my cigarettes out the window. I was smoking cigarettes at the time when I went to the school. I threw those out the window uh, one day within the first week, and I just knew I was changed, and um, and everything was going amazing. Like it, it, it went really well. I was just learning how more and more to reaffirm every day, daily, put on this new identify, uh, new identity, and identify with this new man. Um, and, uh, you know, I immediately, uh, got married within the first month. This was 13 years ago. Um, my wife and I ended up having our first daughter, um, shortly after that. And then three more kids happened, started a business. Everything was going amazing. Um, bought a house for the first time in my life. I was responsible. I was able to like keep a job um because I didn't have this meth thing that would pull me and there would, there would be years there would be 3 4 months that I'd be clean one it, it, there were a couple times where it had been more than a year but I would always find myself going back to that and um especially after I lost my first family I I all I ever wanted was a family but I knew that I wouldn't be able to have a family with the drugs because the drugs also led to me womanizing um, and there's no woman that was going to be faithful to me. And I wasn't going to be able to uh, be a good dad if I couldn't get rid of this stuff. So once the meth was gone, then uh, life just started being kind of normal, like a normal human, you know, your normal ups and downs, your normal challenges, normal family challenges, you know, still fighting with your wife every once in a while. Things are good. Things are bad. You know, it's just, but at least it's doable. At least you can actually start building some stuff. So I had started a business as well. And uh, again, I said, we bought a house. Uh, And then in 2018, uh, in January, after it had been almost eight years, I had been away from a life of crime, hadn't intentionally broke the law. And um you know, walked away, wasn't living, having secrets here and there. The federal government uh targeted me and I was uh charged with a crime that I didn't believe I committed at the time, which was wire and mail fraud. You know, I, I was a criminal at one point in my life, but I had walked away from this. Like I was a leader in my church, started a men's group, a, a thriving men's group of about 30 or 40 men. Um, man, it was going great. And, uh... That's when the federal government targeted me. And, and I was, it was like immediately threats, threats of we're going to destroy your life. You're going to come down here and you're going to sign this, uh, plea for eight years or we're going to ruin your life. It was never, there was never like, um, the whole time I resisted it, Mike. And I'll tell you the reason why I resisted it because it was, I had, become so familiar with my enemy's voice, which was always threats and fear. And you have to do this or the worst thing is going to happen. Like it was, and when the federal government, I was targeted by them. It was never like, Mr. Field or Jonathan come down here. We're like, we need to talk to you. Like you have to understand this is a serious crime. You're being charged with, you know, I want to kind of hear your story. I'm not like saying you're guilty or anything. No, it was immediately like, hey, get down here or it's over for you. And I had just learned and made a commitment. In fact, I was in the middle of a 21-day fast at that point. So I had just been drinking water for about 12 or 13 days when, the, when this happened to me. And the whole purpose of my fast was to eliminate fear and to learn to build my faith and to make decisions based on faith. And the whole, every, their whole tactic was threats, fear. It's over for you. And so I was just like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to trust God that my hand, my future is in his hand. And I decided to fight the government. And, um, I, I was somewhat naive. I believe that I, it was like, oh, this is all going to be cleared up. You know, like I was laughing about it. The feds raided my store, put me on the news in my town. And, um, I'm like, I was just so much in a place of faith. I said, no, this is all going to work out. This is a misunderstanding. Well, it didn't end up being that way. I ended up losing the trial and I got sentenced to five years in prison. And, um, and, and the whole time, even towards the end before I was found guilty, um, I had said that, and I just had learned so much about God and his plan for my life and that he loves me and that he's on my side, and that he has uh, dreams of a a good future for me, a prosperous future. So I said, even if I lose this and I end up going to prison, God is going to work it for my good. I'm going to end up being able to, I'm going to have to go through something that's terrible and something that's hard, but it'll be more ammo for me to be able to help people that are struggling. It's more experience of going through something horrible to where I can give people hope they're going through that. So I just kind of went through, I I went through the whole circumstance with best case scenario, even if I have to go through some hell. And um, we had just had our our last son, Leonidas. And um, when I was found guilty and sentenced to five years in prison, he was three months old. And so they gave me a month to get my affairs in order. And um, the night that I got sentenced, Um, I went downstairs and I told uh, my six and eight year old at the time, Ziva and Isaiah, that I said, Hey, "Hey, I'm going to have to go away for a long time. And um, God is going to bring us back together again. It's going to be awesome again, but it's going to be really hard and I'm going to miss you guys and we're going to miss each other and it's going to be really difficult, but we are going to be back together and everything's going to be awesome again. And I told them that multiple times, you know, it got down to a week. I said, guys, in a week, I've got to go away. And it's gonna, you know, we're driving down the road, we're laughing, and I stopped and I'm just like, I don't wanna I don't wanna be traumatized. You know, I I wanna let them know and get them prepared for this. So we're laughing, having a great time. And I remember just stopping and and, and just telling them, I said, Guys, I'm leaving in a week. And it's it's gonna be really hard. But God is going to bring us back together again. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have each other again. But just know we're going to really miss each other for the next long time. And um, yeah, the night before uh, I ended up having to go self-surrender, my father came to pick me up, and, uh, and he came and picked me up at about five in the morning. And my wife and I, we just woke everybody up, all the kids. We had the baby. Seraphine at the time she was two. Isaiah and Ziva were all in the bed just cuddling and and um I just told him I, I I you know I said, I'll see you guys soon. And I just had faith. I stayed in faith in that moment, and um I kept a positive attitude, but it was hard, man. And and I just went and I'm like, I'm about to have to go through something really crappy, but God is with me and I'm going to learn something and I'm going to do everything I can to make the best out of this situation. And, um, yeah, I did. And, uh, I ended up going to prison and, and it was terrible. It was not fun, but I learned some things because of my mindset, because of just my understanding that, you know, uh, I, I realize it's my fault. Like I'm not a victim. The Like I should have been running my business differently. Um, I didn't believe, and I frankly I still don't believe I was guilty of wire and mail fraud or conspiracy to commit wire and mail fraud. But the jury found me guilty. It is what it is. I ended up going, and um, but I made up this. I made my mind up that I'm going to do everything I can to to learn from this and and make the most of it. And and man, I, I I will tell you that there were just some things I learned while I was in there. Books I read that I never would have read um because of my old mindset it, it, even my mindset up to going into the prison you know I was still not as evolved as I am now and if I wouldn't have gone there then my relationship with my wife wouldn't be as amazing as it is today um I learned things I read some books um and I grew in there to where honestly I would I wouldn't I would go through it again Knowing what's on the other side of it, knowing what's on the other side as far as a thriving relationship with my wife and, um, and just learning and getting the experience that I learned. But it was terrible, but that's when we grow. We grow, we grow when it's hard. We're all seeking comfort. We're all seeking the, we all want to be comfortable, but you don't grow when you're comfortable. You don't, you know, and so, I learned to kind of develop a relationship with pain to where it's like, I'm not immediately trying to hide and get out of something that's uncomfortable. If I'm presented with an opportunity that's going to be really uncomfortable for me, get me out of my comfort zone. Then I, I, now I choose it because I learn because growing growth is important for me. The more I grow, the more I can contribute. So, um, yeah, it was hard, but I learned so much from it. And, uh, everybody else around me was hopeless and I was the weird guy in there that just wasn't, wasn't going to let myself get depressed. Yes, it sucked, but I had, but God was there with me, you know? So,
0: so you said there were like a lot of, you know, you read books in there to help change your mindset and like re identify. So if I'm sitting here, Hey Jonathan, I've just lost my job. Um, you know, I'm behind on my bills. I'm struggling with the relationship with my wife. What are some books that you, you read during that time that would help me, you know, stay in that positive mindset, like you were in that, you know, you're staving off the fear, you're not succumbing to it and being like the rest of the 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 population in there, and even what we see outside. Right, it's normal to be afraid when stuff like that happens. What are some books that you read that helped you to stay in that elevated mindset and stay strong, not just for you but for your family?
1: Yeah, uh, Mike. I, I will, and real quick, I will even say that it's very abnormal when threats are being thrown at you, especially by the federal government, to not be. Afraid to reject that, like I was. That's not normal. I, like I understand. I understand why people make decisions out of fear. For me, I just made a commitment to myself before that all happened that I was never going to make a decision based on fear, and I'm going to make a faith decision. Um, as far as books, I, I can't really name specific books, but but I can tell you there's things that I've learned along the way and. Um, there, there, there is this idea of extreme ownership. There's even a book about it which I can't really say that I've read the whole thing, but, but it is the idea of taking ownership. And, you know, if you're, if you're facing that, you know, the job situation behind on bills, the first step is to be honest and real. If you want to grow, you have to take extreme ownership. You can't, you know, you may have been dealt a bad hand. But you, it, I think it's really important for us to just get real honest about how we ended up where we are. Like for me, um, though, I didn't believe at the time that I, I had committed this crime. I totally see, and I and I still think it's a little. It was a little crazy, and there were a lot of lies that were told about me um, by people getting on a stand because they were kind of bribed. They they had to make up something about me so that they could get this deal from the government. Um, but still I'm not a victim. I, I see, I look back on it, honestly. And I think if you're really honest, especially if God is a part of your life, actually, I'm 100% convinced that if you're honest and you look at your life, you reflect back, you'll see how God was trying to lead you away from that. God's not mad at you. He's not making this terrible thing happen to you. You caused it. There's something that there's a decision you made that got you to this place, and that's okay. Like you talked about, it's not about perfection. As humans, we learn everything through failure. The way you learn how to walk is by falling down over and over again. The way you learn how to ride a bike is by falling down over and over again. The way you get awesome at anything is through sucking at it at first. And so, you know, first off, it's being honest. Um, And then a lot of people think that if they're honest about how You know, that they take responsibility for it. Um, I don't, I think a lot of people are afraid of that because they don't think, they think they have to be perfect. But God has never required perfection out of anybody. There was only one man whose mission required perfection, and that was Jesus. The rest of us, it's not about that. God can work with your failure. Every major person that God has worked through, whether it be through the Bible or anybody that you've really met, if they're honest with you, are going to tell you about all of the failure, and God—that's what grace is. Grace is so amazing, to where God was trying to lead you in a different situation. God was telling you, "Stop playing the video game. You got responsibilities." Or God was telling you, "Don't spend the money on, uh, you know, going out to eat three times a day at lunch. You know, you have bills that you need to pay." So you have this inner voice that's leading you into the right path and we don't always follow it that was my situation for prison but there's this force called grace to where when you make a mistake god is such a loving creator you have to re- we we have to realize that he's on our side and just because he failed he's not like you know imagine a father Training his son how to ride a bike. And when he falls, the, you know, the first time he's riding and he falls after three feet, the, dad, the dad's just flipping out on him, telling him how dumb he is. No, that's not what happened. The, the dad's cheering him on because he made it three feet and he's cheering him on to get back on and go five feet and go seven feet next time. It's okay. It's okay to fall down. It's okay to make a mistake. God can still work with that and he can turn something that seems terrible even because of your own failure and work it together for your good and for the people in your sphere of influence is good to where you're able to take that story and share it. Or like for me, I went to prison. I wasn't, that wasn't a part of my life. I had, a, I had forsaken crime um, and, and walked away. From, I, I had forsaken living in secret and, and making shady deals with people. Um, but there are things that I got out of that you know, knowledge that I got that I never would have read some of these books. In fact, there were books that were handed to me and I was like, nah, I'm a Christian. I'm not, I'm not going to, this is kind of how I was taught. No, I'm supposed to stay away from that. I'm not even going to read this, but there was a voice inside of me telling me, read it and extract the good, eat the meat and spit out the bones or, you know, so just get, get what resonates with me out of it. And if it doesn't resonate, just ignore it. And there were, and some of these books that I read changed my life and they were not Christian books. They were not, it was, in fact, I, I, there was a part of me that felt like I'm not supposed to read this, but I was led to read it and it changed my life. So, so there's good that can come out of situations. I wouldn't be talking to you today. Um, we wouldn't know each other. I would have just kept on. I would have continued on in my life. I was happy where I was at, you know, uh, but it forced me to grow and, and, and there's a lot of good and there's more good that's going to come out of it. And that's what God is going to do with your situation. Just because you take responsibility and you own up to the fact that it's you that got you where you are, doesn't mean that God can't use that and still turn it around. Sometimes you're going to have to go through, sometimes you're, you're going to lose some stuff. You know, when you don't do everything you're supposed to do, if you lose your, maybe your marriage is, your, your marriage is going to be over. You know, maybe you are going to lose that job. Maybe you are going to lose that car or your house because of decisions that you made, but it doesn't mean that God's abandoned you and God can use that thing to grow you and to create a new fire in you. That'll take you further than you ever would have. You ever would have gone. Had you not go through that learning experience of falling down on your face and making the mistake, you get back up and you keep going because even though you're limited and in your mind you're limited, you have an unlimited God on your side working on your behalf. And yeah, it, it, it really is good news. And, but the thing is, is God's not going to save us from every uncomfortable situation. He's not, it, it, it's not about like living, just everything's going to be perfect from here on out. You know, you're in a fallen world you know that there's adversity, you know that there is an enemy who roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you're a devourable, he's going to devour you. So you do recognize that there is an enemy, but you have a God on your side and you're going to come, come across trials and tribulations, but you're going to get the victory over it if you hold on to your faith. And if you just Stand back and you wait and you watch God perform on your, on your behalf. He always will. He'll always turn it around. And the worst case scenario for me, I believe the worst case scenario is I die and I get to go to heaven. So either way, if I die, worst case, the worst case scenario for me is I still win. You know, so I, I just believe that if God is on your side, that you always are going to win eventually. Yeah. Even in your failure, God can turn your failure around for a win.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Well, Jonathan, dude, thank you so much for your insight, sharing your journey, your transformation, um, and how we can, you know, confront the fear and not go back to what we know that's helped us, you know, cope or medicate those addictions that we can find and take comfort in. Um how can men outside of this podcast get in touch with you?
1: I am on all social medias through um, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'm even on YouTube, The Jonathan Field. And I have a website, sunstonecoaching.com. And you can stay in contact. You can follow me through Facebook or Instagram. I'm even on TikTok. All of them are under The Jonathan Field, all one word. Reach out to me like, subscribe, follow all that. And I'm always putting out content to encourage people going through the things that I went through, the things that I wish somebody would have been telling me when I was going through my struggles. That's pretty much all of my content.
0: Well, I appreciate it, my friend. And you know that was the real struggle, right? Feeling lost and looking for the answer. And now you're making it available. So I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you.
1: That's right. Thank you.
0: so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. Helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.